Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Aaron McDonald, and we're going to talk about business in the metaverse and really what this is going to mean to the future of commerce. If you are wondering how is all this Web3 stuff really going to impact business and where are things going, I think you're going to find today's interview absolutely fascinating. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this show, be sure to follow us so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Aaron McDonald. Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's Expert Guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Aaron McDonald. If you don't know who Aaron is, he's the founder of Futureverse, a metaverse platform. He's also the founder of Fluff World, a universe of characters and content for the metaverse. Aaron is also the co-founder of Altered State Machine, a decentralized AI protocol. Aaron, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Really excited to have a chat. I'm super excited to talk to you today. Aaron and I are going to explore business in the metaverse, which is a fascinating thing to explore. But before we go there, I want to hear your story. Like, how'd you get into Web3? What were you doing before Web3? Start wherever you want to start. Yeah, I mean, I've been in technology now for more than 20 years. I started as an engineer, if you could call digging trenches and running cables under buildings, engineering. So literally at the kind of bottom of the business. And were those, was there internet signals going over those cables just out of curiosity? 
Honestly, when I, when I first started, it was still dial-up. Wow. And one of the first things I did in my career progression was when broadband DSL, not even ADSL, DSL started to come to the market. You had to command line program the routers when you would go and install them. And it was only business customers at the time that could afford it. Well, I guess other people could, but they didn't really offer it as a residential service. And I was one of the few people who knew how to use a computer. And so I got put in charge of a team that was rolling out this broadband internet back in the day. And that really started kind of my progression in, in telecommunications early on. I did that for a while and kind of moved from engineering roles into product marketing and then kind of business um, management, eventually into corporate venture, and then from corporate venture out into the startup world. And when I got into startup, I'd been playing around with, you know, kind of learning about Bitcoin around 2015-ish. Wow. And then it was interesting to me at the time, but it was kind of, I didn't really kind of click at that point. And it wasn't until I learned about Ethereum and smart contracts that the light bulb really went off. And I had a friend, a Swiss German guy by the name of Luca Muller, who was down here in New Zealand and we were having dinner and we started talking about, at the time, relatively obscure you know, technology. It was before that first big wave of hype came in. And I was like, why the hell do you know so much about you know, this obscure technology as a lawyer in Switzerland? Turns out Luca had come up with the legal structure for the Ethereum Foundation and a bunch of the other really early Web3 projects. And so he introduced me to a whole bunch of people in the, the Web3 world. And that's when I kind of decided to, to dive straight into it. So what year was that approximately when he first introduced you? Yeah, so I think it was 2015 when, I, when we had that first conversation. And then I, I went all in in 2016. So what did that mean back then? Like, what did that mean going all in back then? Yeah, I'm, I started a venture studio. So at the time, what I was seeing in the market was a lot of ideas and the capital was starting to build up in the space, but not many people knew how to build anything. And so we got a team of, I think, around 50 engineers. And what we'd do is kind of take capability to people with ideas and capital and help them build those things out. And that started my, my first kind of portfolio. And we had a particular focus on usability and user experience because we really believed in this idea of, decentralization and people having more control of their digital self, the data and, and um, trying to create an, you know, a fairer version of the internet. But it was, it's a meme unless people can use it, unless your you know, grandma can get on there and, and start to participate in that economy. It doesn't make any sense to decentralize everything if no one can use it. Right. And so we, we really kind of dialed in on trying to understand what the problems were and what the user journeys were that would help everyday people come into that technology as if they were using email. So as you were investing in all these different entities, my guess is there must have been an inflection point in the last couple of years that kind of brought along some of the things that, that I just introduced that you're part of today. Maybe you could tell us a little bit of that more modern version of the story over the last few years and bring us up to the present. Yeah, so I think if we kind of start with that idea of um, usability is kind of our core thesis. We had two main legs to that. One was let's research and invest in companies and infrastructure that are, that are solving usability problems. And the second part of our thesis was let's build a connected venture portfolio that is 
invest in businesses that bring something that adds value to other businesses within our portfolio. And instead of trying to create, you know, one unicorn, create a herd of zebras is what we kind of termed it, like have this resilient collective of companies that were helping each other to scale, to solve problems. And you get these kind of interesting network effects coming out of that. And so early on, it was, it was kind of protocol and infrastructure research. And then a little bit later, we, we thought, well, now we need to create customer funnels. Content became the focus. And so that's how we got into that content space was thinking, how can we build user funnels? And we started to build them around content and bring people through content into that technology and infrastructure. When you say content, what does that mean? Well, I'd, so the Futureverse is like a, you know, a multimedia media tech company, you know, so it's, it's content, game content, it's application content, it's music, it's mass market media, all of the things you would think about in the content domain, Futureverse is building the, the kind of next version of what that looks like, the kind of immersive and interactive version of those things. We're going to talk about Altered State Machine a little bit later in this interview, but which came first, Fluff World or Futureverse? Fluff World was a project that came out of um, business I co-founded called the um, Non-Fungible Labs. At the time, the big kind of content play in Web3 was NFTs. And we'd been playing around with a few ideas. And one of the co-founders, Jesse, brought to the table one day this image of a fluff, a rabbit. By the way, do they call them fluffs over there in New Zealand? Is that like the phrase or is that just what you guys call well, it? Well, it's, it, it's funny. Fluff has a meaning in the anagram, but no one's figured it out yet. And I'm not going to leak it here. Okay. <laughs> but actually, Jesse had these big floppy-eared rabbits at home. So that's kind of the ins- inspiration for it. And at the time, most of what people were doing in that NFT space was two-dimensional, like kind of art, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And what? Fluffworld brought to the table was this dynamic, animated, 3D multimedia experience. And so it was a very different thing to what was going on in the market at the time. And we'd kind of been thinking about how to evolve what was a static status symbol, I guess, at the time into something that could be more interactive and brought those characters to life with music, which was, I think, something that was really interesting at the time because you could add personality we made the NFTs so that you could update them. They were dynamic. And so when we do a new collaboration with an artist or something like that, then the community could follow along with that moment in time. And, and so this kind of 2D static world became a multimedia interactive world. Well, I love the way that you think, which is multidimensional, right? I mean, obviously you've got all these different companies and they're all independent entities, but they all potentially can support each other, right? And that's what's really fascinating. Let's start, as we get into this metaverse conversation, defining what is the metaverse from your perspective, and then also talk about why businesses should care. Because there's a lot of people listening right now that are like, could care less about the metaverse. They don't understand what his possibilities are, right? And they need to be persuaded by someone like you who's been investing heavily into the space, you know? Yeah, so if we start with what's the definition of the metaverse, there is a lot of, there's a lot of hype out there. And when people um, talk about this, they're often talking about, you know, virtual reality space or some kind of new gaming environment or something like that. But actually, the metaverse isn't this thing that's coming. It's already here. It's just the next 
evolution of the internet. And we're already in that evolutionary path. And if I kind of like strip back all the hype, I think the metaverse comes down to a few key points. One is that um, in the past, our user experience and things we interacted with like communications and media and finance and gaming and commerce, they were all quite separate silos of experience. You know, back in the day when I was in telecommunications, the media companies had their own networks. That's how like far apart they were. And then we started to see telecommunications and media converge come into social media into a more more kind of singular user experience. And then as that's progressed, we've seen commerce come into that domain. And so now we have social commerce and the main way people discover products is through social media experiences. And then, you know, you're starting to see finance creep its way into that user experience. It's not something you do over there now. Buy now, pay later is a really good example of finance experience being integrated into commerce. And so the metaverse is really just this concatenation of user experience silos into one singular user experience. And that can be in a flat, you know, web domain, or it could be in more immersive application environments, you know, what people would typically imagine from seeing Ready Player One or something like that. So just to be clear, if you had to define the metaverse, and I know it's not easy to do that, but how would you go about defining it? Yeah. So I think that's that first thing is like concatenation of user experience. The second thing would be, and I think a, a defining thing that separates where we've been and in the past where we are now is the ability for users to own the data assets, you know, about themselves, own their digital self. There's this digital you that exists in the internet right now, but by and large, it's owned by some other corporation. And the metaverse allows us to take back ownership of those digital assets, your identity, your social graph, your communications, um, the metadata about things that you do and the assets that you own on the internet. And if you take that ownership thing plus that kind of concatenation of user experience thing, what we now have is the ability for a singular me to exist on the internet, which I own, and then I can take into lots of different applications. So then the metaverse becomes the collection of applications which interact with that user-owned data and content. And really the metaverse is about that data layer much more than it is about the virtual reality. Those are just apps. We've had games for ages. You know, those those are not new things. Um, What's new is that we can have this singular digital instance of ourselves on the internet, own that data ourselves using Web3 technology and have that data interact with lots of different applications. So Web3 is like the tech and the metaverse is the experience. Is that really what I'm hearing you say? No, that's a really good way to frame it. And that's why it's really important is because, you know, people are like, oh, you know, why do I need to be interested in the, in the metaverse? Well, you need to be interested in it because it's the internet, you know, and just like the internet's revolutionized the way we do business in every industry, the metaverse is the next iteration of that. And so it's really important that you get a head, your head around what's happening there, and especially to understand how you can take those different silos of experience and transform your customer experience and make it that more singular user journey, because those will be the winners in the next version of the internet, the people who can concatenate those different silos and make this one kind of immersive experience for their users. 
So from the business perspective as to why business folks should listen, it sounds like to me the next, I'm going to use web two analogies, but the next Mozilla, right? The next Google, the next Facebook, the next film, Amazon's, all these companies are going to be reconstructed, if you will, in this new world. And there's going to be opportunity for, uh, and they might already be there right now and we don't even know it, right? Is that kind of what I'm hearing you say? This is going to completely transform the way we do business, right? Amazon's a, a really good example. And it's not one that many people would bring up when they talk about the metaverse. But if you think about Amazon's business, commerce, you know, media, gaming. Right, groceries. They've done that. Yeah, they've concatenated the user experience and created this singular instance of you in their world that can touch lots of different things in your life. And so I think Amazon's probably the most advanced metaverse company out there. People would normally ju- jump to like a Fortnite or, a, you know, or a Facebook or, a, you know, something like Roblox or something like that. But actually Amazon is, is a really good archetype for what, how powerful the metaverse can be if you can construct that user experience around those different things. The difference being, obviously, um, now decentralization, right? That's, that's the big difference. Decentralization, right? And so in the past, you've had to be huge like Amazon to be able to do that, provide that user experience. Um, and you need to own everything and put it inside of your bubble. Well, what Web3 allows us to do is to take the most important part of that experience, which is the data about me, my identity, my um, metadata, the you know, history of me online and my assets, you know, all the kind of things that sit behind those experiences in, in Amazon's world and make them available to small businesses all over the world. You can get the Amazon experience as a user without a single business having to deliver all of those components. You can interact with multiple businesses but still have that singular instance of you. And that's what makes Web3 really powerful, powerful, especially for small businesses because they could never compete with that scale and deliver that user experience before because that data was held in silos. But now that I'm the owner of my data and it's portable across multiple applications, then I can feel like I have the Amazon experience, even though I'm interacting with multiple smaller businesses. Let's talk about, um, and by the way, just a couple thoughts. Like I think of companies like Unstoppable Domains, which I think are trying to be that central identity layer, you know what I mean? Or .eth, right? ENS domains, right? Um, and right now that's the wallet level, right? That's not really everything, right? But these, these entities are talking about layering and permissions to have information. And when you connect the wallet, you can reveal what you want and what you don't want and how so much of that information is owned right now by Google, right? Or it's owned by Facebook or something like that, right? But what I want to talk about is like the everyday business applications that are going to be in the metaverse. Like I want to think about small business, right? Because most businesses in the world are not <laughs> Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Google, Tesla, right? That like millions upon millions of small businesses around the world. There's some opportunities here. And let's talk about what some of those business applications are, are either are today or will be in the very near future that we need to be paying attention to. Well, really, the business applications are the same kinds of things that business does today. But the opportunity is to, if you connect with this technology, you can get some of those superpowers that Facebook and Google and those other, other you know, big organizations have. You can start to streamline. So 
And like a really simple example is if you would integrate with a Web3 identity that I own myself, then when I come to your website, I don't need to sign up. So that one-click experience that I'd get with a, you know, a big guy like an Amazon, I can now get with a small business. I don't have to go through credit card payments journey sign-up experience. I carry my wallet with me and you know, once my identity is linked to your site, now I can interact instantly. And so it's about reducing friction in the user experience. We talked about earlier about how we're you know, concatenating those different elements of gaming and finance and commerce and media and communications. That's all about reducing friction. And the, the businesses that win in any market, in any industry, are the ones that provide the best customer experience. And that's what this technology is enabling businesses to do. It's to gain that, um, you know, to reduce the friction of someone interacting with their product or service, whatever that product or service is. And providing power to the user, you know. And, uh, yeah. you know, the really um, beautiful thing about this is that users not only can have a better experience than they had before because data isn't split across multiple silos, um, but also they're in control, you know, and we've seen the impact of, you know, the negative side of all of this data being owned by these large organizations. And actually, if we think about the progression of society right now, we're becoming a much more digital society. And the things that we value are more and more digital things. You think about like the Fortune 500, I think 80% of the value in those companies is intangible assets. That's already stuff that is not in this physical world, right? And so in a world where the most valuable things exist in this digital and intangible space, giving that self, this digital self away to other people makes no sense at all. You know, that's a valuable thing, not only because of the monetary value, but it's actually me. It's my digital presence online. And whether we like it or not, this digital me exists out there and people are making decisions based on the data in this digital me. And that's affecting me in my real life. And so we really need to grab control of this because this progression in society of more and more things being in this digital domain is not slowing down. And so we really want communities to be in charge of that super valuable asset in this digital world, which is, which is you, it's your own self. If we go back to the ease of purchase stuff, Amazon, for example, has a trademark. It's the best of my understanding for the uh, one click checkout, instant checkout kind of thing. Right. But in this world that we're talking about right now, everything is open source and you don't have to pay third party providers to add these functionalities. It's just there. You click it, it works. And in a world where everyone will have a digital wallet, right, which they don't right now, it's just a matter of putting a piece of open source code or or widget into your application or website and they're logged in and they click and the transfer is done. And that's pretty valuable because now to do this, for example, with WordPress, you have to do all these things and you have to pay all these fees and that's all going to go away. Right. And that's going to, yeah. it's just going to be interoperable because, and it's going to be global and it's going to be, it's not going to matter the commerce level, like the, it, who cares if it's Australian, whatever, New Zealand, what's the, what, what do you call it? Is it dollars over there? Dollars, yeah. Yeah. But it's different than the American dollar. Right. So it's not going to matter because you're going to be transacting in, 
Ether, Bitcoin, or some other thing, and then all the transfers are going to be done behind the scenes. No one's going to know, right? Yeah. So this is going to allow the flow of commerce at a much better level. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. I mean, I think what this technology has enabled is for uh, commerce to flow at the speed of information. You know, you're putting currency and money in the same domain as data, which we haven't had before. And the complexity and the spaghetti behind the scenes of our, you know, finance system now is, it's amazing you can do anything in in international transfer, like the number of hoops that it has to go through to actually work. It's like back in the day when you like make a roaming phone call or something like that. If you knew what went on behind the scenes, you'd be, that's a miracle that you could call someone on the other side of the world. Yeah. And it used to be calling cards before that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But what this technology has done is say, well, let's put money in the same domain as data, you know, as information. And like I said earlier, removing friction. People often say, well, you know, is this technology, you know, here to stay? You know, is it a fad? Is it a hype? You know, does it really add any value? Hell yes, it removes friction. And every technology that removes friction is going to be a winner. And you can't, you can't fight it. We're lazy. Humans, Humans are, are lazy and we like things to be simple and easy. And the simpler and easier it is, then, you know, the more popular it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, if you think about how uh, the iPhone has revolutionized the way we do things, because now we have this supercomputer in our pocket everywhere we are. Now imagine this new concept that we're talking about, this metaverse, this empowering of anyone, anywhere. What are some of the other business applications that you see going on beyond the customer experience and finance as data help the people that are not super techie to see where they might be able to go with this in just a few years? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is kind of whatever business you're in, there's an opportunity to start to change that customer experience and in, in the way that you interact with your users. So it kind of it's a broadly applicable kind of thing. But if you get into some specifics of like what we're starting to see and and I mentioned earlier, society is moving more and more into this digital domain. So you can start to reimagine, you know, the types of things that we do in the physical world starting to pop up in this digital space. So digital fashion is, a, you know, an example of this. You know, if you're in the uh, fashion industry, well, if I'm spending more and more of my time in digital spaces and actually the community of people I interact are inside of these digital spaces, and you're doing this. Everyone watching this now is doing this. You're in the metaverse. You're in this digital space. We're having this interaction. Now you're on Facebook with your friends or Instagram or whatever. You're in the metaverse right now doing these things. It's just the progression of that user experience is becoming more immersive and more interactive. And so when I'm in those spaces, just like when I go on Instagram, it's this perfect version of my life. And I you know, flex all the things that I have. You're going to want to do that in these digital immersive digital spaces. And so fashion is one of those things that is really starting to find a home in the metaverse and brands starting to come in there and new entrepreneurs are starting to create digital fashion brands that allow people to do what we would do in the real world, but now in this kind of digital space, events or concerts or even just hanging out with your colleagues, like all of these things are starting to become more immersive experiences now. Um, and so wherever your business has the opportunity to interact with customers or with team members, you can start to create now these more kind of, you know, social digital spaces or experiences for those customers. 
and streamline those user journeys and start to embed elements of gaming into the way that you interact with your customers or the way that you drive loyalty and all of those kinds of things. Create the communities that love your brand and interact with your brand. Let's talk about the concept of open metaverse and why it matters. There are people who heard about Mark Zuckerberg changing Facebook's company name to Meta and that they're building a little slower perhaps than they anticipated a metaverse play. You know, maybe in their mind, that's what, you know, it seems like that's probably not an open metaverse. So what is an open metaverse and why does it matter? Yeah, I mean, I think the really interesting thing about Facebook is that they had everything at their fingertips to create what we're talking about now. They haven't done it because they missed the mark. They thought about the metaverse, it seems, you know, I'm not sitting around the board table or whatever, but it seems they thought about the metaverse as if it was Sims, you know, Sims back in the day. And that's what they spent $10 billion building. Instead of realizing they actually had the metaverse already, which was this kind of substrate of all of those things, identity communications, you know, metadata, commerce, and taking that and turning it into a better user experience around areas of things people care about and interact with or buy. And so when they came out with Meta as the new brand for the business, I think it was partly because there was a theme, I guess, at the time that that was something that people wanted to know that you were investing in, but partly because I think they believed that they could build this idea that we've been talking about now. The difference between what they would imagine and what we'd call the open metaverse is about data ownership. In their world, Facebook owns all the data. In the open metaverse, users own all the data. And that distinction is really important. And like I said earlier, and it may be, may be a way to kind of get across why, how important this is to people. We could say, what is Facebook? And a lot of people will say, oh, it's a social media company or a, you know, an online advertising company or whatever. It's a data mining company. It's a mind control machine. Oh, there you go. That's what it is. Okay. Its business model is to harvest data about us and turn that data into triggers which help companies change our mind about things to buy stuff. It wasn't a mind control machine. No one would pay for it. And so that's the business model. Facebook is a mind control machine. And the reason they're successful is because we give them ourselves, we give them our digital selves. Um, and in this like digital future where you know, the digital self is a really important part of society, they own that now. And the, what the open metaverse about, is about is saying, no, that's not good. We should own ourselves. Here are the tools and technology that enable you to take back your digital self and not only take back your digital self, but allow you to have that frictionless user experience, the login with Facebook experience with lots of businesses around the world um, without having to give everything, you know, every time that interaction happens, give something back to Facebook. And so I think the precipice we're at now is really important because we could go down two paths. We can go down the Facebook path which is to give our digital selves in this digital society to corporations, or we can go down the other paths and take back that control. And we're in this moment in time where 
if we don't make the decision to go the open path now, we may not even have the ability to make that decision in the future because the mind control machine over here will be influencing decisions we make and we may not even know that we have this frog in a pan that's like being slowly cooked up until, you know, until the digital society is, is housed inside of this corporation. So is Futureverse an open metaverse platform? And is it the only one? Are there others? Like explain that a little bit. Yeah, I think the, the most important thing about the open metaverse is choice, right? And so if we end up having one thing, then we're no better off than we are now. The great thing about the technology that we're using is even if there's one protocol, like TCP IP on the internet, right? It can be utilized by everyone equally. And so um, we, we're building technology protocols for communications, for identity, for money, all of those kinds of things that, yes, they're produced by us, but they're delivered in a way that is community-owned. And they can become universal standards that everyone can use without being locked into someone else's walled garden. And so that's what the Futureverse is about. It's about creating these protocols and standards around those core bits of the digital you and demonstrating them through applications and content um, to show people now what this kind of more immersive and more magical user experience could look like so that more people will start to come and build in that space. How far away are we from, I mean, you know the numbers, there's probably only tens of millions of people who have a digital wallet, which is a very tiny percentage of the planet. So how far away are we from, in your opinion, having a mainstream onboarding into Web3 and the metaverses, the open metaverses? Is this a decade-long thing? Yeah, well, I think right now there are close to 300 million crypto users okay. um, around the world. So it's not a small number. And the interesting thing about adoption curves is a lot of people think that inflection point is like at 25 or 30 percent or something like that actually when you get to that five percent mark it starts to really charge up because now you're only three steps away from 50 percent five percent on board one person that's 10 percent you know that 10 percent on boards one person that's 20%. So you think we're like three maybe years away from mainstream? I think so. And I, I think three to five years is probably realistic. And the things that will drive that are, you know, things like the work we're doing to make that user experience easier, but also pretty much every major economy in the world is working on a CBDC. Central bank digital currency, for those who don't know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. So central bank digital currency is using this technology, just Web3 technology to make you know the rails of money for government money their country yeah in your country and so the types of things we've been talking today around that frictionless user experience developers and businesses in many of these economies when these um, central bank digital currencies will launch they'll be able to directly hook into these rails without those intermediaries in place and you know all the palaver that happens today if you're trying to set up commerce across the world and so that will drive huge numbers of people into digital wallets and digital identity. But down here in New Zealand, we, we've been working with the government down here to put in place a digital identity trust framework. And that got passed through the government a year or so ago now. And then they're st now they're starting to roll that protocol out 
so that businesses and developers like ourselves can start to interact with government services using digital identity wallets, using this kind of user-owned data framework. So more and more and more places around the world will do the same thing and will end up with that sort of de facto way to interact with applications on the internet and with money. I want to talk about altered state machine a little bit. And the question really is, let's talk about artificial intelligence and the metaverse. You know, as we're recording this, ChatGPT has gone mega huge. People like me are saying this is one of the biggest innovations since the iPhone. We've got lots of AI technology that's also doing incredible things like mid-journey with graphics. We've got AI stuff that does incredible original music. I mean, it's just like we're 2023 is probably going to be massive year of innovation on the AI frontier. So from your perspective, how does AI and the metaverse kind of connect together? Because it seems like that's what you're doing with this altered state machine. Yeah. So what altered state machine was about was if we believe that society is becoming more digital and that data is a really important thing, we also believe that artificial intelligence is going to impact every part of society. And so what we wanted to do was find a way to both teach more people about artificial intelligence and how important it is and provide a way for communities to own those agents that start to become important parts of society. There are AIs out there providing data to politicians, to business owners, to town planners, to things that affect your physical world now based on this digital you that exists out there. They're They're mining the data. These AIs are out there processing that data and making decisions about your actual life that affect you today. And yet most people don't understand it. And certainly not many people have control of that process, you know, in communities. And so Alter State Machine wanted to provide a way for communities to own AI and for everyday people to learn about AI through play. And so we created a protocol which allows users to own artificial intelligence agents and a series of applications that starts to teach people through games what an AI is, how you can train it, how you can interact with it, what can it do, um, so that they can start to get savvy about this thing that will have a huge effect on society. And in the metaverse specifically, you know, we see artificial intelligence being like your phone you talked about earlier, you know, you've got this thing that makes you a bit of a cyborg. This makes you a bit of a superhero because you've got the world's information at your fingertips. We want to do the same thing with artificial intelligence to allow people to be more creative. And so all those domains you talked about, music and art and animation and 3D objects and characters, all of those things, now I can wave my magic prompt wand and start to be a creator of metaverse experiences as a layperson. And that's one of the really exciting things about the future versus being able to bring artificial intelligence back and, you know, and, and allow, allow people to create these immersive digital spaces and businesses to start to create immersive digital experiences using these, these tools, this AI sidekick. It's so fascinating to me. You know, we're going to look back at this day, this interview even, and say, man, we were so not even aware of how big of a change this is going to be, right? Like like you and I are doing our best to talk about AI and the metaverse and how it's going to change business, but it's hard when we're in this seat to know what it's going to mean. We have to go back and look at older models. Like for those of us that have been around 
for a while. Like I had a business in the nineties before the internet. I remember how much the internet changed everything. Right. And then I also remember how social changed everything. Right. And like, if you didn't operate before that, you have no paradigm. It's hard to understand. Just like my kid, my kids would say, dad, what's that thing in the plastic on the driveway? I'm all daughter. That's a newspaper. That's how we used to get our information, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's like, it's hard for us to imagine this future, but the truth is that it's coming and it's going to change everything. And if we don't get this right, like you said, there's going to be even fewer entities that control everything. That's right. And I love what you're doing here because what you're doing really is empowering everyone to be able to have a ownership, if you will, in all this stuff. And I think it's fascinating. I don't know any thoughts on that. Well, I think like, the, you know, you're hundred percent right on that. And I, I think especially if you're a small business, you should be wholeheartedly embracing this technology. You should be fighting for it. You should be talking to your, you know, elected representatives about it, because this is the thing that gives you a chance, you know, without the ability for users to own their data and make it transportable between different applications which is what the open metaverse is all about. We're going to see increasingly bigger companies taking bigger parts of the economy because they can deliver that more frictionless user experience. And so if you're a small business champion out there, you want to get into this because it gives you those superpowers and it gives a compelling alternative to the big guys. That's why you should care about the open metaverse because this is where society is moving. It's becoming more digital. These tools are enabling people to to create more immersive experiences and to reduce the friction in commerce and if you don't get on board in that journey and if you don't support web3 then the alternate is more of the same what we've been seeing for the last year you know, 10 to 15 years and they're going to slowly eat away at every single part of the economy so get out there if you're a business owner learn about Web3, learn about the open metaverse and, and get in behind it because not only can it transform your customer experiences, it's the thing that will save your business in the long run. Aaron, this has been absolutely fascinating. If people want to discover more about you, do you have a preferred Web2 social platform that they reach out to you on? And or do you have a website that you might want to send them to? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N-M-C-D-N-Z or check us out at thefutureverse.com. So wait, M-C-D-N-Z. N-Z. Yeah, yep. okay. Just I say Z for all of us Americans who don't know what Z yeah, is. Yeah, <laughs> Z. <laughs> and then what was the what was the website also? Thefutureverse.com. Aaron McDonald, thank you so much for uh, coming on and answering all my questions and really opening our eyes to a future that I think is super exciting. Awesome. It's been a pleasure. Happy to come on. Thank you for your time and everyone out there. Get into the metaverse, understand it, and see how it can change your business. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W61. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. And would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.
The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.